The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Overpowered me. And uh, as I was working on the message and bringing everything together, this week, it just wouldn't let me go. And so I decided to go back and focus on that one area. You'll notice the title this morning is, What are you looking for? Last week with Easter, we touched on the fact that when people come on Easter Sunday with great celebration of the risen Savior, but we truly have to stop and think, what what is it we're really looking for? And so I want to focus on that this morning. So let's go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, this morning, you know how you weighed this on my heart for the last couple of weeks. And so I pray that your spirit would have full control to lead where you want to go. And I just will thank you for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there are a lot of mixed emotions with Christians. We know that when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells us, and and we know that we have everything, all the tools of right living at at our fingertips and at our heart and at our mind. And so when we're prone to be afraid or we're prone to cry or to be sad, sometimes we'll try to avoid that and suppress it, but it's very normal, okay? It's very normal. It's part of the human side. And, and Jesus did not hate tears. Uh, earlier, he had cried himself. And on the way to his crucifixion, he told the weeping women who followed him to cry for themselves and for their children. And on one of the most amazing scenes of our Lord's earthly life was his open grief at the time of his triumphal entry when he rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Everyone else was rejoicing, the disciples particularly, because finally the time had come. Christ was going to take his rightful place. He was going to banish the rule of Rome, so they thought. But Jesus wept for Jerusalem. In Luke 19, beginning in verse 42, he said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Later, he would tell the woman, women in Luke 23, verse 28 through 31, but turning to them, he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the, of the, and the wombs that never bore and breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall upon us, and the hills cover us, for they do these things when the wood is green. What will happen when it's dry? It wasn't that Jesus was opposed to crying. But it was that things had changed between then and the resurrection. Everything had changed. For he 
who was dead was now alive. So let me just touch on a quick review this morning. As you recall, on the first day of the week, the women who had been in Jerusalem and had witnessed the crucifixion went to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb to anoint the body. They knew the tomb would be sealed. They knew that this was going to be a problem. But when they got there, the, tomb, the uh, stone had been rolled away. Mary went back to tell Peter and John. The other woman looked in and they saw the angel. And at the angel's command, they went to tell the others that Jesus was raised from the dead. Mary had not yet seen the angels. So when she reached Peter and John, all she could tell them was that the stone was rolled away and the body was gone. So the disciples ran to the tomb. And still, she assumed it had been done so that someone could move the body. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb. And I don't know where they put him. Peter and John knew nothing, so they started out running to the tomb. There they saw the grave clothes where the body had been laid, still neatly laid out. And they knew that if Jesus had just been unconscious or in a coma or something and had woken up, the clothes would have gone with him. But they were exactly the way they laid. And this impressed John so much that he believed. He knew in his heart that Christ had risen. But neither Peter or John had seen Jesus yet. And Mary? Well, you know it, that she made her way back to the tomb. She went back there. She was crying, and, and no wonder. She had witnessed the horrible crucifixion of her Lord. They, she'd seen them take him off the tree and, and put him in the tomb. She'd seen him dead. And she was very distraught. And she said, Mary stood out the tomb. It says that Mary stood outside the tomb in John 20, verse 10. And if you recall, she must have been crying so hard because when she looked into the tomb, she too saw the grave clothes. And she saw the angels, but she didn't recognize them as angels. And then the angels asked her, Why are you crying? And she said, They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. And when she turned back to walk away, there was Jesus. And she assumed him to be the gardener. And she said to them, if you've taken the body, where have you put it? So here we have this woman who's had two literally supernatural encounters. Seen angels, seen Jesus, and didn't recognize either one for who they were. So this brings us to a very soul-searching question. The question that was put to Mary, why are you crying? Why are you crying? We can hardly miss the fact that this, in this brief history, that question was asked twice of Mary. The angel said, woman, why are you crying? When she turned and saw Jesus, he said, woman, why are you crying? The very same question from, from both of them. And why? Well, it was certainly not because the angels and Jesus didn't know the answer. But rather, it was to clarify her thinking 
and highlight the contrast between what she was looking for and the far greater blessing that had been given to her. Mary was so distraught in what she knew in her own knowledge that she was missing the reality of what was right before her. What was Mary looking for? The first answer to the question is she was looking for a dead body when God had a living Lord. What was she looking for? We can sympathize with her for certain. We understand the broken heart. But Jesus had been telling them that he was going to rise again. But Mary was so caught up in the reality of her grief that she couldn't see what Jesus had told her. Instead of seeing disappointment as a tool in God's hand, we often see it as something we just don't want to experience. And in our humanness, our outlook is clouded. I'm sure all of us here this morning can identify with that fact. Things come into our life that we just don't want. And instead of having the reality that if I am a true child of God, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me, then this has come into my life for a very specific reason. God, I want to see you through this. But far too often, we just want to avoid the potential of pain and difficulty. Mary was looking for a body. She was thinking of it in terms of the Jesus she loved, but she knew that he was dead and the body had left her. And she would want to anoint him, assuming she could find the body. And that's what the women were looking for when they went there that early morning to anoint him. These women had ministered to Jesus while he was alive, and they wanted to continue their duties even through the love with the dead body. They wanted to demonstrate their love as long as they could. All they could do now was anoint a lifeless body. This permeated, completely permeated Mary. I mean, consider her words, John 20, verse 2. They have taken away my Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have laid him. John 20, 13. They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. John 20, 15. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Not once in all of this has Mary mentioned Jesus by name. She calls him the Lord or, or him, assuming that everyone knows who she's seeking. But in spite of her fixation on Jesus and her great love for him, not once does she think in any other terms but a dead body. She looked into the tomb. She must have seen the grave clothes laid out, the thing that just riveted John, and they meant nothing to her. She wanted to know where they had put him so she could carry him away. <clears throat> Resurrection is the farthest thing from her mind. Yet, Jesus had said often he would rise from the grave. You see, in place of her dead body, God had a living Jesus. 
And he was there in the garden right beside her. Do we think of Jesus as just being in heaven? Do you think of Jesus in terms of being right with you, right where you are? Do we, like Mary, get caught up in the, in the trial and miss the reality that he is right there with us, working in and through the suffering to accomplish something greater in our lives? Or are we buried under the scars of the past? You know, I think it was last October maybe when <clears throat> I lost my hair <laughs> with the chemo and it kind of created a, a reunion with my childhood. Yeah, I started seeing all the scars from my youth. There was this one scar in the front I hadn't seen, obviously, in a long time. It was from running into a stone wall at five years old. It was a church dinner, and it was dark. And they called the kids, and they said, dinner is ready. And I saw the light over the door, and I made a beeline for that. To this day, you know nothing gets between me and dinner. And I'm running for that light, and as I'm running, the light goes away. I don't know why, but what I didn't realize is in the dark, I was drifting to the right and ran straight into a stone wall. Then I found this scar up in the back here from flipping my tricycle on a grassy hill. Go fast, you'll love it, the little girl across the street said. <laughs> and I still have the scar. And then one on the side of my head from being hit in the head by a stick from a friend after watching a Daniel Boone show on TV, and they always got up. It won't hurt. <laughs> so I'm finding all these things. But you know, as, as comical as that is, I can't help thinking that in a real sense, so many of us are buried under the scars of the past. We have a living Jesus we have a God who said, I will supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Yet we live as if that's not true. And the scars and the difficulties and the, and the shortcomings and the, the loss of income and the health and all the things that happen to us in a lifetime just oppress us. And like Mary, we're not looking for that living Jesus in the situation. We're not living in the reality of a power of a spirit who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And a Holy Spirit that God said, I have given him to guide you into all truth and then gives us the word of God. Are we like Mary looking for the wrong things? Now, I don't know if we have the same thing today because our circumstances are different from Mary's. But there is a sense in which something is very similar. People look for religious things when God has for them a living Jesus. Some think that religion consists of a dead body of theology. That is a book religion. And there's fewer things deader than a book religion. And it's not that the Bible is not important. Of course it is. It's of great importance. It was given to us by the word of God. So anyone who has only a book theology may cry out, the theologians have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. However, we know that the word of God is living. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living 
and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, the, the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You see, God gave us a living word. And then he gave us a Holy Spirit to guide us in this word. But so many Christians today don't even pick it up and then wonder why there are no answers. What are we looking for? If you have been pursuing religious matters, but have found that your heart is still empty, and your soul is crying out for something you can hardly define, for God, for reality, for beauty, for life, the problem may be that you're seeking the living among the dead. What God has for you is a living Jesus. What Jesus asks for you asks of you is who is it you're looking for? Not what are you looking for? You should be looking for the living Lord, but Mary was looking for a dead Christ. And when they appeared before her in glorified bodies, she never even saw them for who they were. Because her heart was so downcast in the midst of this trial, that's all she could see. The second thing Mary was looking for was a martyr. To be sure, a dead martyr. But still a martyr. In place of that, God gave her a risen Savior. We know that Mary was looking for a martyr because of the way she talked about the nameless persons who had hounded Jesus to death. She used the word they when she referred to them. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him, John 20, verse 2. They have taken away the Lord, and we do not know where they have laid him, John 20, 13. If you had pressed Mary, asking her whom they meant, she would probably give you a very clear, detailed answer. They were the religious leaders of the day whose position and prestige were threatened by Jesus. They had been trying to remove Jesus for some time now, and everybody knew it. But what did that matter now? If it was not those who had conspired against Jesus, it would have been others. When Mary said they, all she meant was that Jesus had been unfairly and unjustly treated. He had come to harm because they were the cause. They hated him because he was good, and he had died a martyr's death because of it. However, Jesus was no martyr. A martyr is one who dies heroically against great odds for their own beliefs. Jesus did not die for his beliefs. He died for you and me. He died in our place while living. He taught this very clearly. He said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. When instituting the Lord's Supper, he maintained in Mark 14, 24, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out 
for many. He spoke of himself as the living bread in John 6:51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So as the time for him to be offered drew near, we are told that Jesus steadfastly made his way to Jerusalem, telling people of his death and his resurrection. Clearly, Jesus saw his death not as the death of a martyr, but as that of a sacrificial lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. His death was no tragedy. It was what he had come to accomplish. Mary had been looking for a slain hero, but God gave her a risen Savior. And from that point on, she and those who were also drawn to faith were to go into all the world and preach that gospel. But we see now the recognition. There was one other thing Mary was looking for, and it is striking that she seemed to be looking for even after she saw Jesus alive. It was the old Jesus, a mortal, as she supposed. Instead, God gave her a glorified reigning Lord. She was looking for the old Jesus, the way things used to be. The story of Mary meeting with Jesus is told in such brevity that it's necessary to kind of fill in some of the blanks to get a feel for what was going on here. We know that when Jesus encountered her and said, why are you crying? And her thinking he was the, the gardener said, because they've taken away my Lord. Basically, if you've taken him, just tell me where you've put him. And she must have turned away at that point. Because when Jesus calls her by name and she recognizes him, the scripture says she turned back. And I can almost assume that after she had addressed him as the gardener, she probably looked back to the tomb, the last place that she knew he was. So we have these encounters, everything leading up to this point right now, and Mary is still not realizing what's right in front of her. She's always looking away from what she should be looking for. And I wonder this morning how many of us find ourselves always looking away from what God is doing. How many of us realize that even in the most difficult times of life, that God is right there drawing us to him, that he might live through us powerfully, that he might show us exactly what he's doing. I was sharing, I had an opportunity to visit a gal in the hospital this week, and, and uh, as we were talking, she said, I, I want you to meet my, my roommate in the bed next to her. So we turned around, and there was this frail gal there, and she was very pleasant, and we talked, and I said, why are you here? And she said, I have cancer. I said, really, tell me about it. And she was very down and everything, and she told me about it. And I said, wow. I said, me too. She just paused, and she looked. What do you mean? 
I said, yeah, I got it too. And I started to share with her, and her countenance just lifted up. And, and I realized, God, what a blessing. You see, there's nothing you and I can ever be confronted with that God can't use for an amazing glory. And there is nothing you will ever experience when completely turned over to Christ that he won't guide you through it to bring glory to him and joy to your heart. When he said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that means all your needs. But when you're constantly looking for a dead Jesus or one that's in heaven that you're not relating to, you're never going to see the truth when it's standing right in front of you. And Mary gives us an amazing, an amazing reality here of what was going on. And this is very important. John, and then the other thing that happened is that Mary must have reached out to him and hugged him. She probably just my Jesus is back and leaped upon him. And we know while John doesn't say that specifically, we can see this in John 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, now suddenly everything is coming into position. This Jesus who came and died on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins is now going back to glory, but not just to God, to your God. Not just to the Heavenly Father, but your Heavenly Father, if you've trusted him as your Savior. Mary had expected him to be the same old Jesus but although he was the same, he was quite different too. They had known him in the flesh, but now they were to know him in that way no longer. He was risen, and now he was going back to heaven to be king over his church. He was still, he, was, he, seats, he sits right now at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for you and me. He prays for you and me. He gave his spirit to indwell you and I today in the word of God to guide us. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for a real God-led Christianity or just a way to get through today and make it to tomorrow? He was giving commands, and the chief of them has not changed ever since. And we heard a great testimony to that fact this morning. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end. When Bernice shared that she had to share because God had been so good to her, she just had to share it with others. 
if you're looking for a dead Christ, you don't really care about sharing anything because nothing's real to you. But when he becomes real, when you turn everything over to him, and when you say, not my will, but yours be done, and when you say, God, I understand through the scriptures that you marked me out before the foundation of the world, and you sent your son to secure me because you loved me so much. You know, I'm often asked by people when I talk to them about the Lord, and they, they say, yeah, but I don't get it. He was just a man. I don't, I don't understand what good that is. I mean, why can't I just die for you? Well, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. It doesn't do any good. But when Jesus was sent from heaven, he was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. His blood was not the human sinful blood that's passed down since Adam. So when he hung on that cross and shed his blood, that was holy blood, perfect blood, sinless blood that takes away the sins of the world. And so simply put in John 3.16 that we many have known from we were children, God sold the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that blood was marked out for you before the foundation of the world? So what is today's reality? We're over 2,000 years away from Jesus. Well, in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, there are words of great wisdom. Ecclesiastes 3.1, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. What you're experiencing now is a season. You're in a season, whatever's going on. And Ecclesiastes 3.4 says, A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There is time for weeping. But there's also a time to laugh and rejoice. And there's a time to mourn. But then there's a time to dance with joy. You see, for the child of God, who's put all their faith in God, we're going to cry. We're human. We're going to have struggles. But to the Christian, there's laughing because joy comes in the morning. And there is a time of mourning when we miss those that go on. But we can dance for joy knowing we'll see them again. You see, every season of life has its right perspective. And when the Spirit is leading us, we can see the hand of God through everything we're going through and understand what he's doing. What are you looking for? Today is the day to seek a risen, merciful Savior who loves you and gave himself for you. Do you have a living faith, a living hope? Or are you seeking a dead religion? Are you looking for the old Jesus, for the here on earth to bless you here? Or a Savior who is glorified sitting at the right hand of the Father and is making a place for you in glory. He is risen. He is not here. But to those who give him their life, he gives the Spirit to guide us.
Do you have an active, living faith that conquers the grave? Do you have an active, living hope that when the bottom falls out, you can see the hand of God? That whatever you go through, Jesus is guiding you through his great purpose. Who are you looking for this morning? And Father, we thank you for the reality that we've seen in Mary. Lord, all of us are like this woman. We get overcome by struggles and difficulties, and we don't see the living God. But all through the scriptures, you've taught us how to carry all our cares to you because you care for us. We're to cast all our burdens upon you. We're to take your yoke upon us and learn from you because your burden is light. And that's because you're carrying it for us. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who, man, they're just up against it right now. They're struggling with the reality of Christ in their life. I pray, Lord, that they would not rest until through the scriptures or conversation they can find the peace they're looking for that only comes through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would work in and through our hearts and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for what you're going to do. In Christ's precious name, amen. God bless.